much for the opportunity to come here today and Lord, to just proclaim how powerful your name is. Jesus, if we're honest with ourselves, I think it's fair to say that a lot of times we really don't comprehend that. And we don't apply it to our life like we should. But Lord, if we have confessed our sins to you, if we profess to have faith in you, then we believe in a Savior that has been given all authority and power in heaven and on earth. Lord, there's nothing that is impossible for you. There's nothing that you can't do. There's nothing that you can't accomplish. There's no person that you can't save. There's not a single person that you can't call to do something great and amazing in your name. And guys, we sit here today and we pray. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to have faith in that Jesus. To know that there's not a sin that you're not powerful enough to deliver us from. There's not a disease that you're not powerful enough to heal us from. There's not a situation or circumstance that's too big for you to overcome. That we serve a God who's capable of doing more than we could ever think or imagine. Father, we love you today. We have a lot of hurting families in our church and we pray for them. We have a lot of people who are sick. We pray for them. Lord, we have a lot going on in this broken world and we pray for those things and ask that you would be in it all. And Lord, as we gather in this place, help us to begin to grasp how amazing and powerful and majestic you really are. We love you. We thank you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is good to see you this morning. I don't know how you can sing a song like that and not get excited. Emotional. I'm probably more emotional than excited in my personality. But when you think about how powerful the name of Jesus is and you think about what he's done for us, if it's true, if it means something, then it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your life. It's going to affect your attitude. Um, It's going to affect your faith. It's going to affect the things that you're willing to do in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about putting our faith in motion. And, um, you know, we talked about belonging to God, being his, allowing yourself to be who God has called you to be. We talked about last week that doing comes after belonging and who you are, and this week we're talking about how faith overcomes fear and doubts. And if you're sitting here today and you were to say something like, you don't have any fear or doubts, chances are you are lying. As people, we have fear and doubts in multiple aspects and facets of our life. 
For some of us, we may have financial fears, we may have health fears, we may have situational circumstances, job, family, relationships, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, marriages. There's all kinds of stuff that we have fears and doubts about in our life because life is so unpredictable, right? I mean, you just don't know. I mean, you, anything that you do, you, you have to have a lot of faith and trust to even proceed in life. And when you look at our culture today, we have a culture that's overcome by fear and doubt. Even inside the church, when you think about what the disciples were doing in the early church and what the leaders were doing in the early church, the miracles that were happening, there's a lot of things that were happening then because they had the faith, they had the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving through them that we don't see today. And it's not a matter of whether or not God is able to continue to do those things but it's a matter of whether or not we have the faith to believe that God still wants to do those things and do them in and through us. Because let's be honest, like serving Christ is not easy, is it? And living apart from sin is not easy, is it? Some of us have fear in our life because we want to proclaim the name of Jesus, but we're still living in sin, so therefore that makes us feel like we're not worthy, and it creates fear and doubt that someone's going to call us a hypocrite, and someone's going to like call us out on our stuff, and so there's fear in that aspect. Some of us are afraid to speak in the name of Jesus or do things that he's called us to do because of how people will treat you or what they'll say or what they'll do. I shared with the first service this morning, yeah, I remember having a conversation with someone in my life and I asked them about their faith, and our relationship was never the same after that. It was always different from that point on. You never know how people are going to act or respond. And in your life, it's so important for you to understand that there are going to be fears and doubts, not only just in general life, but especially in your spiritual life. There's going to be fears and doubts in every aspect of your spiritual life because there's going to be so many things that God is going to want to do in you and through you, and you're going to question those things. You're going to question, like, is God really saying this? Because God doesn't always just come down and say, Nick, this is exactly what I want you to do, does he? He doesn't reveal him. A lot of times he doesn't reveal himself and say, I'm God. This is what I want you to do. Do this, 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 and this, and this, right? A lot of times we feel like God speaks to us. He nudges us. He, he, he leads us in so many ways. And in so many times during those moments, we are scared because we're not 100% sure like, God, is this you? Is this what I'm supposed to do? And a lot of times we're just Sometimes we don't want to do that because it would be un uncomfortable, and sometimes we're just absolutely terrified to do it. It doesn't matter how big it is, because a lot of times God speaks and nudges and whispers in like the simplest, smallest things, right? And we can be afraid to do that. But this morning, we're talking about how faith overcomes fear and doubt. And when you look at Moses, I'm sorry, yeah, Moses, no, Noah, sorry, I'll get it right in a second. You look at Noah, and you look at the story of Noah... In the account of Noah, what you see is, is a man who lives for God in the everyday, simple, mundane, boring aspect of life, and it says that God found him as righteous. Leading up to this point, there was nothing great, majestic, magnificent. It, Noah wasn't a boat builder. Noah didn't do anything great or awesome in the name of the Lord. He was simply righteous. In a world that was doing everything they wanted to do, Noah was being obedient to God in the everyday, mundane, boring. And when we're talking this morning, I want you to understand 
that faith has every day, everything to do with just you simply living for the Lord and doing what he's called you to do, especially in the little things. Because this leaves and creates the ability for Noah to do something great. Let's read Genesis chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. And then we'll skip over to verse 7 and read some verses there. And we've read this. We're going to read it again. But God tells Noah, build a boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. All right? In Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 24... It says, for 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. As we read this and you read the boat, it's like, okay, Noah followed some instructions. Great. He did exactly what the Lord told him to do. But when you begin to read what's happening right here, I want you to think about the understanding in this moment that what you're reading about possibly had never, basically it never happened before. I mean, even today, knowing that you read the Bible, you read God's word, right? You believe in God to a certain extent, whether or not you believe in everything that you read, but you believe in God to a certain extent. And to read God's word and even think about a flood of this proportion just sounds impossible, right? I mean, the earth's 75% water, but to even think, 22 feet above the highest peak on earth just sounds impossible, right? And here's Noah, who's called to build this giant boat, and we read, we read the instructions, and we read how he's supposed to build it, and it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of doable, because we, we see stuff like that today, it's that big, and it doesn't seem that impossible. But then when you read about the flood, and it just kind of reminds you, it brings you back to reality of the impossible. And to understand in this moment leading up to this point, there's no mention in Scripture of there ever even being rain. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. No mentions of boat up to this point. No mentions of any of this stuff, of anything like this happening, of the underground waters being released from the earth, of anything like that ever happening before. But God is saying, Noah, this is what I want you to do, and this is what's going to happen. And he starts explaining to him things that seem impossible, that just doesn't even seem like it makes sense. And Noah is having to act this out and do this based off of faith, on something that's never happened before, something that he's never seen And while he's doing this, he's going to have to explain this to everybody else who's coming by and watching what he's doing. It's pretty crazy, right? And we have a hard time just talking about Jesus. We have a hard time witnessing to people. We have a hard time doing things, the little everyday mundane things that we know that God has called us to do. We have difficult times with that. But Noah's building up to this point, this point of impossibility... In Genesis 7, and then you look at verse 21, it says, All the living things on earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land, God wiped out every living thing on earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky. All were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat, and the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. And what I want to talk to you about this morning, point number one, is that fear and doubt are crippling. 
Fear and doubt are crippling in your life, not only in your everyday physical life, but it will be very crippling in your spiritual life. And don't be fooled. Don't act like you're not fear or doubtful about certain things in your life. Everybody has fears and doubts about everything. It's very present in your life. It's going to be. And you look at our culture, 15 million people in the United States have been diagnosed with anxiety. That's almost 10% of our population. Anxiety. Just simple being afraid to go out, to talk to people, to interact, to do certain things. There's already a seed of fear that Satan has planted in our culture and society. And the further we go and the more we do this, the longer that fear gets implanted not only in us as people, but in our children, in our children's children, in our culture, in our generations that are coming up behind us. Satan has planted a seed of fear and doubt in our culture, almost 10%. Now, that's just the people who's been diagnosed with it. That's not the people who hasn't been to the doctor to just talk about this and say, yes, you probably have this, because a lot of us, if we were honest, would have fear and anxiety in many different areas of our life or about different things. There is a seed of fear and doubt that's been planted in us, not only people out there, but in here. And this morning, you have to understand that this is a seed that's planted by Satan. Because where there's fear and doubt, you listening to me this morning? Where there's fear and doubt, there's a serious lack of faith in the midst of that. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't believe in Jesus Christ because you have fear and doubt in your life. But what I'm telling you is, is that you have to have faith in order to be able to overcome your fear and doubt in your life. Because just as everyone has fear and doubt about different aspects of your life, everyone has the potential to have faith. So it doesn't matter what you're afraid of or what you're doubtful of or what sin you're struggling with or whatever is going on in your life to create that in your life. You also have the ability to have faith in Jesus Christ to overcome those things. And you have to believe in that this morning. You have to have faith that Jesus Christ has the power to overcome that. And it's like, a, it, it, this is kind of a weird analogy, but faith is like a muscle. It's something that you have to exercise. It's not something you know that you can't go into the gym and bench press 300 pounds on day one if you have never worked out. It's something you have to build up to. No one goes out and runs a marathon without training beforehand, right? None of you are going to get up here on Sunday morning and play the piano if you've never trained and practiced in doing that, right? Everything that we do in life is you have to practice. You have to build yourself up to the ability to be able to do it. And your faith is the same exact thing. This is why we talk about the everyday, mundane, boring parts of life that a lot of time that we as people feel like are unimportant and insignificant. And Satan wants you to think that those things are unimportant and insignificant. But you look at Noah, and for 600 years, he did the everyday, mundane, boring, exactly how God wanted him to do it. And then finally, one day when God says, okay, I'm ready to restart, I'm going to reset the earth, and I'm going to do this, who do I need? I need someone who's obedient, even in the littlest things. Because if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big ones. And if you're not faithful in the little things, you're not going to be faithful in the big ones. And so for us to be sitting here this morning, to just come to the comprehension of just everyday mundane, little, boring things, the importance of you being faithful in those and overcoming fear and doubt even in the little things 
is going to significantly impact your ability to be able to overcome your fear and doubt in larger things. And there's some of you in this room right now that you were thrust into situations and circumstances in your life that you may not have been ready for, but you made it through and God provided a way and God helped you through those times. And because of that moment in your life, now you can look back and say, God helped me in that moment. God did this in that moment. He was faithful. He was powerful. And I didn't think there was a way and he provided a way. And now you can look at things that are coming and say, because God did this, I know that he can do this, right? And so it's because of those things, it's those tests, those exercises, that living daily to do those simple things that leads us the ability into the ability to do the great things like Noah building this massive boat. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, and he encourages him. This is a really popular passage of scripture. You've heard it a bunch of times. It says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Even your spiritual gifts are something that need to be exercised. They need to be tended to in order to build that up to the point where those flames can be productive and influencing in whatever areas they're supposed to be influencing. Your faith is exactly the same way. It has to be tended to. You got to throw some logs on that fire in order to get it going. It's not something that you can just not exercise and leave it and not use it and just expect it to be there in those moments when you need it. The spirit of fear and doubt is not from God, it's from Satan. You look at verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Satan is the one that plants fear and doubt in our life. And you, as followers of Jesus Christ, have to decide every day, not just today, not just right now in the service, but every day when you wake up, what seed you're going to water, what seed that you're going to tend to. And a lot of you in here have done gardens and stuff in the past, or you at least have some idea of what it means to grow stuff. But you know, when you plant something in the ground, like a garden, and you go out there and you don't tend to it, what happens? Weeds take over. It dies. Especially if you don't water it and you don't care for it, it'll die. Because anything good that's worth having, you have to work for, you have to invest in, you have to tend to it. And if you don't go out there and you don't hoe the weeds and get them out and you don't do what you're supposed to do, that garden's going to drop and weeds will take over just like that, producing very little crop, if any at all. Your faith is very similar to that. You have to decide which one you're going to tend to and which one you're going to allow to grow. And let me tell you something this morning, to not do anything is feeding the weed. And you got to decide every day whether you're going to pull out the hoe and you're going to go out and you're going to dig up those weeds, that seed that Satan has planted, and you're going to get that out of your life and you're going to throw it in the fire and you're going to get rid of it so that you can exercise your faith in living for Christ the way that he has called you to. Because if you don't, the seed that Satan planted will take over in no time. It's the weed. It's what's going to take over. It will thrive on its own. You don't have to do anything for Satan to take over and move. Because he's looking to gain ground. You look at Noah. Noah was called to do something foreign and alien to this world that he lived in. I mean, it wouldn't have even made sense. It probably didn't make sense to Noah, but it definitely didn't make sense to other people. 
But the cool thing is, is that whenever there's faith present in our life, fear and doubt is moved. But point number three, faith brings about power, love, and self-discipline. See, verse 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 talks about power, love, and self-discipline. Because when fear and doubt are removed, new seeds are planted and able to flourish. And those things, power, love, and self-discipline, are able to take root and be exercised and tended to in your life. How many of you would love to have power this morning? How many of you would love to, to have more love in your life, to give love and receive love? How many of you would love to be more self-disciplined? Those things are not easy. They're not easy to come by. It's something that is a gift from the Lord. I've said it the past couple of weeks, you know, it's like, that stuff was never mentioned. Can you imagine how difficult it would be for Noah to try to explain to people what he was doing? What you doing, Noah? Building a boat? What's a boat? I don't know, but it floats in water. Where's the water? It's supposed to rain. I don't know. What's rain? I don't know, but it's coming. Why are you building it on dry ground? Apparently, I'm, the water's coming. Why is it so big? You know, it's not like Noah was just out in his backyard building a canoe. It wasn't like it was a hobby, like, oh, we're going to go play down in the creek and we're going to have a good time. I mean, he was building a massive, untold structure that wouldn't even be comparable to anything until the 1800s. Why is it so big for the animals? What animals? I have no idea, but they're supposed to be coming. Hannah and I are doing a Bible study together in the mornings right now, and we're reading through Ezekiel. And for 390 days, Ezekiel had to lay on his side naked. Right? Naked. How weird is that? In the middle of the street, and he was supposed to cook his food using human dung during that time. And of all the things to complain about, he's like, oh, like, I've never defiled myself. Don't make me use human dung. He's like, okay, God says, okay, you can use cow dung. And Ezekiel's okay with that. Like, that's okay. Then he has to shave his hair, cut it up into three different sections, burn some of it, scatter some of it in the wind, build this little fake town, and he's like planting a siege while he's laying on his side in order to warn the people of Israel of the judgment that's coming during this time. Let me tell you something. Most of the time when God calls us to do something big, it's really weird. It doesn't make any sense. You, you can read passages of scripture and you look at from God calling Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. It's stuff that's just not supposed to happen. And Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughed in his face. And every single one of us who believe in Jesus want to do something big in his name. But I'm telling you, unless we're willing to do the everyday little mundane things to build up our faith and exercise it, leading us up to the point where God can say, okay, you want to do something big in my name? Here it is. And you're like, God, this is stupid. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know about y'all. I don't know if I'd be willing to lay on my side butt naked in the middle of Chesney for 390 days eating food cooked with cow poop. I don't know if I'd be willing to sit there and build a boat in the middle of dry ground for God knows how long in order to get it ready and do it. God doesn't call us to do things that make sense. 
He's not going to call you to do things. It's not like you're going to say, oh, this makes perfect sense. And the rest of the world is going to look at what God has called you to do and say, that makes perfect sense. I can't believe nobody's ever thought of that before. Usually when God calls people to do stuff, everybody sits around and mocks and laughs at them until finally God carries through the whole plan and everybody says, oh, wow, we were the ones who were idiots. We should have listened and obeyed the Lord. That's what usually happens. If you want to have faith in God, you need to be building yourself up to doing something that is not going to make sense to you. It's not going to make sense to anyone. But it doesn't mean that it's not what God wants to do. You look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and this is the faith chapter, very popular chapter in Scripture. But in verse 1, it says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. And through, faith, through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. All right? Now let's get down to verse 7 of that same chapter. And it says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. So God comes to Noah who had never built a boat, maybe had not even known what a boat is, and says, Noah, this is what I want you to do. This is what's going to happen, and none of that stuff has ever happened before. And now he's got to embark on this adventure of building a boat, which would be really miserable, by the way. We'll talk some more about that later. And do this trying to explain to everybody what's about to happen when something had never happened before, Right? You promise you'll be honest? I'm going to ask you a question. You promise you'll be honest? Just for this moment, how many of you struggle, struggle whenever you read this story right here and you think, okay, like, I, I, I believe that it's truth, but it's still really hard to believe. You struggle believing in the flood in Noah's Ark. Yeah, most people do. Can you imagine how hard it was for Noah for this like to never happen. I mean, like we've been hearing about this our whole life, like this, this happened. We've kind of been groomed to accept this in the church. But for someone to receive this information, try to convince the world of it, who didn't believe in a God, who didn't serve and honor a God, and for them to try to convince the people of this, it would be so foreign and alien to everything they knew and understood. It would be a nightmare to have to juggle that, to, in, to engage in that. But Noah's faith expelled any fear and doubt. Because now think about this. For 600 years, he had already been living apart from the world. The world was wicked. They were violent. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. And the whole time, Noah was doing everything that the world didn't agree with. He had already been living this out for 600 years. And because he was faithful in the little, everyday, mundane, boring things of life, that it's not even recorded. All it said was, Noah was righteous. That's how boring it was. Anybody know a righteous person? Are they boring or fascinating? There's a reason why people of the world don't want to be righteous. It's not a very extravagant life. It's a great life. Once you, lit, once you try to live it and you see how the Lord works and moves in it, it's a great life. But it's not something you, you're going to get famous and rich and wealthy doing, trying to live for the Lord. It's just not. But Noah was living faithfully to the Lord for 600 years. When God finally calls him to do this, 
the fact that no one else understood what he was talking about, it didn't matter. They already didn't understand why he lived the way that he did. And they weren't willing to live with him doing it. So it didn't make a difference in Noah's life. The last part of that verse 7 says, By by his faith Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It's super important to understand that Noah did not have the power and authority to condemn the world. When you read this passage of scripture, it's very important for you to understand that God was the one who condemned the world. But when it talks about this in this passage, I, I want you to take into consideration what it's like if, you, if you're in a class and the teacher grades on a curve. You familiar with that concept? So it's like, let's just say all of you in this room take a test and the highest grade in here is a 70. So as the teacher, I would take the 70, I would bump it up to 100 and give everybody else 30 points on their grade. That's what grading on the curve is. But every once in a while when you take a class, you end up with a nerd who's in there and they end up making 100 and everyone else bombs the test. You ever had that happen? It really stinks when that happened because the nerd ruins it for everybody. Noah is, really he's the nerd. He's the one who gets it right. And he, he, he reveals the fact to everyone else that, yes, none of you thought it was possible to make 100, but Noah was able to be righteous when no one else was, and therefore what it did was prove to the world that it was possible for you to be righteous because Noah was able to do it when no one else would do it. And therefore, his righteousness condemned everyone else. Does that make sense? There's a reason why people in this world don't want to be around you if you live a righteous life. You with me today? Because when they see you doing it, when they see you living it, when they see you being obedient and having faith and doing things that Scripture has called us to do, what it does is it shows them that it's possible for it to be done, and it's convicting to them, right? Any of you ever been under conviction before? It's awful. It's like one of the most excruciating, painful things in life to be under conviction and basically just like waiting on the Lord to like relieve you of this guilt and shame and, and things in your life, and maybe you got to go apologize to somebody or take care of some things on your end, but basically just waiting on the Lord to just heal you from this moment. No one wants to be convicted. No one wants to see the fact that they're failing, and they see someone who's saying, see, look, they're able to do this. You're failing in this. You living righteously by faith is one of the greatest testimonies you will ever give to the world. It's better than any words you could ever say. It's more important, it's more powerful than anything else because it will show them that it's possible to live for Jesus Christ. And then if you live righteously like the Lord has called you to, it will give your words power and authority to impact and influence people in their lives. You ever had somebody try to tell you what to do and they're just like, they weren't even doing what they were saying? You ever had a hypocrite try to talk to you about something, whether it be spiritual or not spiritual, like somebody who didn't know anything about sports trying to coach you or teach you about something? They had no idea what they were talking about. It's frustrating, right? It's insulting, right? And for someone to try to talk about Jesus Christ but don't live the way that he's called us to, it's insulting. But if you live for Jesus, it gives your words power and authority, Point number three, your faith brings about the impossible. 
And we sang that song earlier. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. You talk about Jesus Christ. And we say that we believe in him and we call on him for forgiveness of sin and we want eternal life. But really, do we really believe that Jesus can do the impossible among us? Do we really believe that he can do that in our life? Do we really believe that he can do that through our life? Because when fear and doubt are gone and faith is present, anything is possible. Jesus said, if you have the faith, the grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, get up and move. And you can move that mountain. You can cast it into the sea. Is Jesus a liar? What, what exactly do we believe when we say that we believe in Jesus Christ? When you think about Noah, and you think about the sheer scale of this project, and I'm going to get Matthew to throw that picture that diagram of, of Noah's Ark up here on the screen so you can see it. This kind of give you a visual idea of how big Noah's Ark was compared to some other things you might be familiar with. But the Ark was 450 feet long. That's two and a half football fields. Or that's one and a half football fields, sorry. 75 feet wide. It's the largest selling vessel in recorded history up until the 1800s. And this very well could be the first boat ever built that we know of. How incredible is that? That God, you know, says, hey, I don't know if you've ever thought about building a boat before, but we're going to build it and we're going to build the biggest one that's going to be built for like 4,000 years. And not only was it the largest selling vessel up until the 1800s, but it, it was built on a one by six ratio. So if you take 75 feet divided by 450, or 450 divided by 75 feet, you, you get six. It's on a one by six ratio. And according to naval engineers, the one by six ratio for a, for a sailing vessel is the most efficient sailing vessel. It's the least likely to turn over or sink when it's out to sea. That's kind of like the ideal ratio that you want to build your boat on. If you're going to be out in the ocean, you're going to be fighting waves and it's going to be pretty rough. That's like the ideal. It's not going to be the fastest. You're not going to be able to do cartwheels and flips and stuff in it, but it's the most efficient. And how awesome is it that God starts off with the very first one with the perfect ratio of saying, this is the boat that's least likely to sink that you could build. It displaced more than 22,000 tons of water. That's 5.5 million gallons. Can you imagine having to move around 5.5 million gallons of water? And it had a floor space of 101,000 square feet. Anybody ever been to the Biltmore House? Biltmore House is 175,000 square feet with four stories and a basement. And it's almost as big as the Biltmore House with three stories. It's not like Noah went in the backyard and started building a canoe. He was building something ridiculous that just did not even make sense. It's not even fathomable. And, and to think that, that he did this, and, and look, at, look at the comparison. Nothing even came close to it until the 1800s. But where there's faith, there's no fear. You with me this morning? And it doesn't mean that fear and doubt are going to be gone in your life, but faith creates the opportunity to overcome fear and doubt. Because you're relying on the power of Jesus Christ, and you're not relying on your own power to overcome these circumstances. And we serve a God that through him, all things are possible. 
you look at the Titanic. Titanic was a little bit bigger, not a whole lot bigger, but a little bit bigger. It took two years to build the Titanic. Cool, right? The only problem is, or difference, is they had 14,000 men doing it. 14,000 men building the Titanic with prefabricated steel parts that were ordered from a steel mill. And it took them two years to do it with 14,000 men. That's 28,000 man years. When you do the math and think about how much time that took altogether, it's ridiculous. And to think about Noah and his sons building this ark probably by themselves, there's no telling how long Noah had to do this. There's no telling how long Noah sit out there in his backyard on dry ground building this boat and people just walking by and laughing and jousting and making fun and just whatever they wanted to do and laughed it up. And just like scripture says, they were celebrating, they were drinking, they were partying, they were getting married up until the day the first drop of rain fell. But when that first drop of rain fell, all hell broke loose. It didn't make sense. It was ridiculous. It had never been done before, and it had never been done since then until the 1800s, thousands of years later. Guys, we serve a God who not only calls us to be faithful in the little, but calls us to do ridiculous things that seem impossible to this world. In Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at him intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And guys, we can sit here this morning and we can talk about common sense and we can talk about practicality and we can talk about reality. But you have to decide which God you serve. And you can believe in Jesus Christ. But if you really believe in who he is, you have to believe. Do I believe in the Jesus who can save me from my sin? And give me eternal life? Or do I believe in the Jesus Christ who can do that and do the impossible? Do things that we never thought or even could think of doing. That he would reveal things to us. When you look at scripture, you serve a God that addresses the impossible frequently. Everything that happens in scripture, there's a reason why so many people have a hard time believing it. Because it seems impractical. It doesn't seem rational. It seems impossible. But do we believe in Jesus? Do we believe in God? Do we believe in a God who can do the impossible? If you think about it, and you're trying to rationally think about this, don't focus so much on what can and cannot be done, but think about the God that you want to believe in. The God that created the heavens and earth. The God who placed the sun, the moon, the stars, and the sky. The God that created the laws of nature. And you guys understand this. The more educated you are, the more you understand that the one who creates or invents something is the one who controls whatever it is that they invent. And if God created all things, if God made all these things and all the laws of nature, those laws do not apply to him because he is the one who set them in place for everything else to operate under. And so when you read, like in the book of Joshua, and you read about him praying and time being rolled back and the sun being moved back so they could finish the battle, like that seems impossible, right? 
But we serve a God who created the sun, who put it all in motion. And if he wants to rewind it a little bit, he ought to have the ability to do it. If he mashed play, you think he ought to be able to mash rewind, right? What God do you believe in? What Jesus do you believe in? The world is not going to understand it. If you thought that you were going to profess faith in Jesus Christ and then go out there and the world was going to cheer you on, you entered the wrong game. The world's not going to understand it. The world is going to try to disprove you, discredit you. They're constantly going to look for opportunities to call you out. They're going to look for failures and faults in your life. They're going to look for sins in order to yell hypocrite in your life. You with me? They're going to look for those things. The world's not going to understand it, but you cannot be afraid of the world. The world isn't going to believe, but you can't let them cause you to doubt. You're not here. You don't serve Jesus to receive praise and admiration and affirmation from the world. You serve Jesus because it's what you know to be true, even though nothing else makes sense and the world doesn't understand it. The world lives in a box. The world lives according to the laws of nature. But you can't let yourself be boxed in. Because if you serve Jesus Christ, you have access to the power of Jesus Christ, to the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who made that box for everything to fit in. And anytime he wants to, he can open up the lid and pull whatever he wants to out of the box. Do you believe that he made you to be his? That he called you by name? That he formed you in your mother's womb? Not by accident. And you might be sitting here this morning and you say, my mom and dad did not plan to have me. I was definitely an accident. You might have been an accident for them. You were not an accident to God. I know a lot of people who plan to have babies and they don't have them whenever they plan to have them. And a lot of people who don't plan to have babies who have them by accident. God is the one who decides. God formed you in your mother's womb. He knew you were going to live. He knew the day that you're, not, you're going to cease to breathe and cease to be in this world. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you have to believe that you belong to him. You have to believe that he made you to be obedient. You have to believe that he called you to have faith in him, even when it doesn't make sense. There's going to be so much about scripture, so much about life, so much about God's word, so much about prayer, so much about just what we're supposed to do in the name of Jesus Christ that's not going to make sense. Billy Graham, America's pastor, sit on a rock in California and say, God, I do not understand everything that I read in your word, but I'm deciding to put my trust and faith and believe in this even though I don't understand it. We have to come to that point in our life that we say, God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I can't explain it to anybody else, but I'm going to believe in this no matter what. This is what I'm going to base my life around. But you got to do it in the small, simple, everyday, mundane, boring stuff first. Because if you can't do it in that, you're not going to build a boat, an ark, in astronomical proportions to everything else that's ever been done. You're not going to lead 
millions of people out of a nation, out of slavery, without swinging a single sword or throwing a single spear. You're not going to lay on the ground butt naked in the middle of the city prophesying for 390 days, cooking your food on poop if you're not willing to be faithful and obedient in trusting the Lord in the everyday mundane boring. You got to work your way up to stuff like that. You got to be faithful in the little so that God knows when he needs somebody to do something that sounds ridiculous to everybody else. He's like, that's my guy. That's my girl. Nobody else will do it, but they'll do it because they've been doing it in everything else. And even though this sounds absolutely nuts, I know they'll do it because they've been doing it in everything else when no one else understood why. Faith overcomes fear and doubt. And before you leave here today, I just want to remind you, it doesn't mean that doubt and fear is going to be expelled from your life. If you make a decision, God, if you, if you say to yourself today and you're sitting here and you're just talking to God and you're saying, God, I want to believe in you, I want to have faith in you, I want to trust in you, I want you to understand it's not like doubt and fear are going to be gone. This is going to be a daily decision. You're going to have to wake up and you say, God, I choose faith today. I'm not going to focus on fear. I'm not going to focus on doubt. I'm going to focus on believing in you and believing that you can do the impossible. And fear and doubt are always going to be tagging along behind you, whispering your name, wanting you to give them an opportunity to get their foot in the door and plant their roots back in so that they can take over your life. Because today, Jesus might be calling you, hey, you know that sin in your life that you think is impossible for you to overcome? I can do that. You know that person that you feel like you've been supposed to be speaking to and telling them about Jesus Christ? It's, it's time to do that. And the next day, it might be, hey, you know that time in church where you felt like you should have get up and just started shouting and praising the Lord and it didn't make sense and you thought everybody there was going to look at you weird? Hey, because it's not going to make sense to anybody else. There's been times people's got up and praised the Lord. I used to laugh at Henry all the time. First time I came to church, I was scared to death and he started screaming. Then I just started laughing at him. Now I appreciate it when he does it. Doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. You got to be obedient to what the Lord wants you to do. Doubt and fear are always going to be there. Satan is always going to be at the door knocking. But the awesome thing is, is Jesus is always at the door knocking. You've got to choose whether or not you're going to let Jesus in or you're going to let the devil in. And none of you are going to be sitting here like, yeah, I'm going to walk out here. I'm going to let Satan in today. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Nobody does that. But when we focus on the fear and doubt, that's what happens. When we focus on the sin, that's what happens. We put our eyes on Jesus Christ and we put our faith and our focus on Him. It drives fear and doubt out. But it's a decision and it's an effort and it's, it's allowing Jesus to do that every day of our lives. So the question is, what Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in the one who's just going to give you eternal life when you die? Or do you believe in the one who can use you and wants to use you to do amazing things in his name. And you may never get a single ounce of credit. You, no one else may ever know what you do in the name of Jesus. But there could be some of you in here who Jesus is calling you to speak his name. 
and to convert thousands, hundreds of people to him. And you'll have a better opportunity to do it than I will because you're around people in the world a lot more than I am. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear and doubt control you. Choose faith. Choose to believe in the Jesus who can do the impossible because through him, everything is possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day. In Jesus, we pray that you would help us to have a faith in you that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we don't claim this to be easy. It's not something that we can just have all of a sudden. It's not just going to appear out of nowhere. Lord, we're going to have to go. We're going to have to hit the gym. We're going to have to start working out. We're going to have to start preparing ourselves and training with the little things first and working our way up to bigger things. Lord, help us to grow in our faith. Help us to be faithful in the small things so you can trust us to be faithful with large ones. We love you today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.